0: Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. I'm your host, Robert Zirk, filling in this week for Nolan Bicknell. RC 360 is a new show every Sunday morning at 8.30 right here on CJNU. A project of the Winnipeg Foundation, we provide views and news from around Winnipeg every single week. Sharing stories that matter to our community is our promise to you, our listeners. We're able to bring you this weekly show thanks to our partners at Community News Commons and CJNU 93.7 FM. So thanks for listening. We've got a great show lined up for you this week. First, we'll air the second part of my interview with New York Times bestselling author and Pulitzer Prize winning investigative journalist Michael Moss. Moss went behind the scenes in the processed food industry and what he found may surprise you. Later on in the show, I sat down with the Executive Director of the Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba, Tara brusso snyder and comedian Mike McDonald, and we talked about a fundraiser that's benefiting mental health support programs and raising awareness of mental health issues in our province. We've got all this, plus some great tunes, right here on RC360. Last month was Nutrition Month here at River City 360, and I was fortunate to have the chance to speak with Michael Moss a few weeks ago. He's a New York Times best-selling author and Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative journalist. He's also the author of Salt, Sugar, Fat, How the Food Giants Hooked Us. Last week on River City 360, we talked about how food labels attempt to get consumers to make impulsive decisions and why the science behind processed food puts taste before health. This week, we go even further into the science behind processed foods and find out what you can do as a consumer the next time you head to the supermarket. So here it is, part two of my interview with Michael Moss.
1: you, though, the problem isn't that the industry has created bliss points for things like soda and cookies and ice cream. It's that they have marched around the grocery store adding sugar to products that didn't used to be sweet before. So bread now has added sugar, some yogurts, I think, and still have as much sugar as serving as ice cream, although companies are cutting back now. And one of my shockers in my own shopping and this store is the pasta sauce aisle where some brands can have the equivalent of sweetness in a couple of Oreo cookies in a in a tiny half cup serving. And what this does, what this has done, is created this expectation in us that everything should be sweet. This is especially hard for kids who are hardwired from birth for the sweet taste. And the problem is you're going to have an even harder time getting them to eat vegetables, which everybody now knows we all should be eating more for better health.
0: You yourself had the opportunity to try some of these processed foods without the salt, sugar, or fat. Tell us a bit about that experience. What was that like?
1: Yes, so I went to the largest food companies and said, look guys, one thing that everybody's asking you to cut back on is salt because of the connection to high blood pressure and heart disease. Why can't you do it? And several of them gladly invited me in to show me why. And One of my favorite Uh, Trips was out to Kellogg in Battle Creek, Michigan, where I went into the research and development lab, and they made for me special versions of some of their biggest products without any salt at all, and I have to say it was one of the most awful dining experiences I ever had. We started with the Cheez Its, which normally I could eat all day long and the Cheez It's made without salt for me, we couldn't even swallow them. They stuck to the roof of our mouth because salt adds texture and solubility. We moved on to the frozen waffles, put them in the toaster and they came out tasting looking and tasting like straw. And the clincher were the cornflakes, put them in the bowl before I could even take a bite. The chief spokesman for the company swallows and gets this look of horror on her face, and she blurts out the word metal. I taste metal, M-E-T-A-L. And the chief technical officer is there with us, and he laughs a little bit, and he says, well, you know, not everybody will taste that, but one of the beautiful things about salt for us is that it will mask these off notes that are inherent to some processed foods. One of the most challenging problems for the food industry is meat. Because when meat is re-warmed, as in a canned soup, the fat oxidizes and gives off what the industry calls warmed-over flavor, W-O-F, Because sometimes they pronounce it not "woof" but woof, as in bark, because they will also describe warmed-over flavor as the taste of wet dog hair. Wow. And I think all of your listeners can probably guess what the solution to wet dog hair taste in canned soup is. And if you didn't guess, it's adding a little bit more salt. So again, salt, miracle ingredient, the companies are hooked on it in substantial ways, They are making progress and cutting back salt by 10, by 20, by even 30% in many products, in part because we're adding so much to begin with it's pretty easy to whack back that much, but by and large across the board, many of them find that there is a cliff, and if they cut back too much on salt, their products turn to straw, turn to rubber, turn to yuck, which is kind of a And
0: sugar. We hope you're enjoying this interview with Michael Moss, author of Salt, Sugar, Fat. We'll have more with him coming up later in the program, but first, here's a song related to the theme of food. It's Eileen Barton with her hit song from 1950, If I Knew You Were Coming, I'd Have Baked a Cake, right here on River City 360.
2: Come in! Well, 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 look who's here! I haven't seen you in many a year! I, I knew you were coming, I'd have baked a cake, baked a cake, baked a cake. If I knew you were coming, I'd have baked a cake. Had you do I had you, do a you do Had you dropped me a letter, I'd have hired a band, grand band in the land. Had you dropped me a letter, I'd have hired a band and spread the welcome mat for you. Oh, I don't know where you came from, cause I don't know where you've been. Really doesn't matter, grab a chair and fill your platter and dig, dig, dig right in. If I knew you were coming, I'd have bake the cake. Hired a band. For goodness sake, if I knew you were coming, I'd have bake the cake. How did you do? I hate you do, I hate you do. But it really doesn't matter. Grab a chair and fill your platter and dig, dig, dig right in. If I knew you were coming, I'd have baked a cake. Hired a band. Goodness sake. If I knew you were coming, I'd have baked a cake. How'd you do? I had you do? I had you do? Hat you do? I had you do? I had you do? you do?
0: That was Eileen Barton with If I Knew You Were Coming, I'd Have Baked a Cake. And now we return to part two of my interview with Michael Moss. In mentioning those cutbacks in salt, sugar, fat, you mentioned that there are some companies that have kind of heeded some of those warnings and tried to reduce the amount of salt, sugar, fat that they use. But when they attempted to do that, they found that their sales were dropping. Is there room for healthy food alternatives to succeed and catch on with consumers? Or are they kind of fighting a losing battle against these foods that have been engineered to be tastier?
1: Yeah, I think it's been really tough for them up until now. And the toughness is that the grocery store is a very competitive place. And so if one company decides to do the right thing by consumer health and cut back on salt or sugar or fat on their products, others will swoop in with the full fat salt version and us as shoppers being hooked on the larger amounts trying to decide you know whether to buy that better for you or less bad for you product in the shop it's a really hard call Especially for folks who don't have a lot of nutrition background and aren't getting much help in that. I mean, if the problem is too much salt, sugar, fat, then obviously the solution is cutting back on salt, sugar, fat. And I went to Nestle in Switzerland this summer, one of the largest, richest food companies out there, and they totally impressed me with their efforts to cut back across the board of their products, salt and sugar and fat. They have huge campaigns going on right now. But when you talk to nutritionists, what they will tell you is that salt sugar fat isn't even at the top of their concerns. They will say that for better health, what we all need to be doing is doubling the amount of vegetables and whole fruits that we are eating. And so when you go to Nestle and you say, okay, I see you're cutting back on the bad stuff, but what are you doing to create, say, a Hot Pocket, which is one of their brands, that's not just sort of lower in salt, sugar, fat, but stuffed with Brussels sprouts and broccoli and, and what have you. And you're getting kind of a blank stare from them because it's really hard. And it's, we're talking about years of research that they need to do to come up with truly healthier formulations of their products that'll actually taste good and will sell. Because one of their biggest defenses, and you can't fault them for that, is that it's stupid to put out a product that nobody's going to buy. So that's one that's kind of the fine line that they're working on in that sense, too. And it's going to take some time for them to change gears and direction. But I do think it's starting to happen. and I think we will see that.
0: You mentioned uh, doubling down on vegetables and fruit and kind of limiting the amount of processed foods that people eat. Are there any other ways that people can take action? And what can we as consumers do?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a series of things you can do as a shopper, for instance. One, make a shopping list and do everything you can to stick with it. Spend more time on the outer edges of the supermarket. That's where the produce is and the less processed meats. If you eat meat, be really careful in the center of the store. And the ends of the aisle called the end caps, that's where food manufacturers will rent space to promote almost invariably kind of the less healthy for you products and the checkout register of course is now loaded with bad for you stuff because you're standing in line and just totally exposed to sort of the impulse buy thing. That's sort of one thing Two, you know we all have to work on our kids. It's the next generation it's the greatest hope for turning the obesity epidemic around. You know I think that the way to deal with kids is not to preach to them about foods but engage them in a conversation about it. You know explain Explaining to them why they are so in particularly vulnerable to excessive sweetness in foods. And then finally, it's kind of like just realizing that the whole notion of convenience in processed foods is an overblown myth. It doesn't take that much more effort to cook a meal yourself than it does to pick out prepared foods and serve those and it's more of the problem, I find, is that it's a challenge of just kind of redeveloping better habits. And if you can do that, if you can start by cooking just simple meals yourself, it makes you, I find it's made me much more mindful about food, which is one of the big keys here. It's paying attention to what we eat and also kind of falling in love with food again, like we used to be. And it's, it's actually pretty amazing. Walking through the produce aisle, it's, it's just a marvel you know, at the stuff that's there, kind of the real food that you can actually find in the supermarket.
0: Salt, Sugar, Fat is your latest book, and you came to speak in Winnipeg last year, which I know a lot of people thought very fondly of your talk. Tell us about the latest book that you're writing right now.
1: So the next book is called Hooked, Food and Free will, I am, for whatever reason, stepping on this third rail of food and addiction, spending time with scientists who are trying to figure out what is it about junk food that compels so many of us to overeat. Is it the formula that is truly addictive, like drugs? Are there parallels with drugs? Or is something else going on there? And then, of course, because as, you, as your, your listeners know, I love crawling through the underbelly of the processed food industry. I'm going back inside these companies to sort of look at how they have been dealing with the very hot issue of food and addiction. And so far, it's not a pretty picture.
0: Is there a tentative release date set for that right now? You know,
1: so tentatively, it'll be next year sometime, and I would be thrilled to come back to Winnipeg and talk about
0: it when I'm done. That's great. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for joining me today, and thank you for taking the time out to, uh, to talk about this with us. My pleasure. Great talking to you. Michael Moss is the author of Salt, Sugar, Fat, How the Food Giants Hooked Us. You can find out more about Salt, Sugar, Fat, and be sure to check out his blog on the food industry. One of his most recent posts is about how companies are starting to develop a brand for fruits and vegetables to compete against the other major food brands that are out there. So be sure to check that out. The address is michaelmossbooks.com. Starting this week, we're airing a new feature on River City 360, telling the stories of Winnipeggers who, through foresight, planning and generosity, created a lasting legacy and helped to make our community a better place. Here's the first installment of that series right here on River City 360. Laura Penelope Dowler and her husband William Johnstone Dowler were both active in Winnipeg community life during the first half of the 1900s. Laura came from Ontario and moved to Winnipeg around 1923. She was a member of Young United Church and was active in its Women's Missionary Society. She was also part of the Ladies Auxiliary of the Shriners Hospital. A lifelong Winnipegger, William entered the grain trade when he was just 16. After serving in World War I, he would go on to become president of the Winnipeg Grain Exchange from 1936 to 1937. He gave of his time and energy to numerous causes. He was vice chairman of the Board of Governors of the Shriners Hospital, a member of the Board of Trustees of Young United Church, a member of the Masons, and potentate of the Cartum Temple. An athlete in his youth who held several Manitoba championships, He was also president of the YMCA, and secretary of the Manitoba branch of the Canadian Amateur Athletic Association. William passed away in 1951, and Laura followed two years later. They had two children. Through her estate, Laura established the L.P. Dowler Fund, a community building fund that supports the full range of the foundation's granting. Since the fund was started, it has granted an extraordinary sum more than 10 times the original gift. Because this fund is permanently endowed at the Winnipeg Foundation, it will support our community for good forever. When you give to the Winnipeg Foundation, you join Laura Penelope and William Johnstone Dowler and the thousands more who've had the foresight to give for good forever. That was the first in a series of features on Winnipeggers who created a lasting legacy in their community. To learn more, contact the Winnipeg Foundation at 204-944-9474 or visit wpgfdn.org. Coming up, we'll find out how the Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba is helping raise awareness of mental health challenges in our province. Stay tuned, you're listening to River City 360. Welcome back to River City 360. I'm now joined by Tara Bruso snyder She's the Executive Director of the Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba. Tara, thanks for joining me today.
3: Thank you very much for having me.
0: So first off, tell us a bit about the Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba and what the association does.
3: The Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba was formed in 1983. We service over 55,000 Manitobans. We are a provincial agency in mental health primarily with depression and bipolar. And what we offer is peer support, education, public awareness, advocacy, and support groups throughout Manitoba.
0: What are some of the stigmas and misconceptions that the association is actively working to break down?
3: Well, I think what we really are promoting right now is to encourage people to get help if they feel that they have depression and not to sit there with it, but to actually go out and be part of recovery. And Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba can really help people find their level of recovery.
0: This past Tuesday, uh, you held an event, the Funny You Should Ask Gala, and that was as part of the Winnipeg Comedy Festival. Tell us a little bit about that event and the purpose of it.
3: Well, Mood Deserters Association of Manitoba has always had comedy nights. We find that one of the ways to recover with depression is to be able to laugh. And so we really promote people to get out and get out of themselves and really share in humor. The other thing that we have found is that we have tremendous support from comedians because comedians also know the side of depression. And so usually when you have depression, it's just another uh, way to show even with comedians that laughter is sometimes the best medicine.
0: Are you happy with how the conversation about mental health issues is going in Canada? And what do you see as the next step?
3: Well, I think what's happening is that we are starting to talk about it more. But what we aren't doing is we're not keeping up with services. And we're also not keeping up with what we can offer to people. So as a result, there are people that are still today in dire straits. And actually one of the populations I'm most worried about right now is senior men. Senior men are not coming forward. And so even though there's conversations in other communities, we're seeing a very high suicide rate with senior men. And we really want to start addressing that. We do have a men's group here in Winnipeg every Friday night and so I would encourage anyone who you know is feeling um, depressed or feeling and it lasts longer than two weeks to come and see us.
0: What are some resources available to people if they? feel that they need to reach out about things that are going on in their life that are affecting them?
3: I would encourage everyone to, first of all, talk to their family members or their friends. Get support that way. I would also encourage everyone to go and uh, see a family physician and either get a referral or get help from your family physician organizations such as ours, which are self-help, are wonderful avenues for you to be able to come forward. And we don't have appointments. We don't do intake. All you have to do is show up at our support groups, walk in or phone, and we're here for you. So anybody who is feeling that they have depression, Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba is there to help.
0: Thank you so much for joining me today, Tara.
3: Thank you very much,
0: Later that day, Nolan Bicknell and I had the chance to sit down with legendary comedian Mike McDonald, who headlined the Funny You Should Ask Gala. He talked to us about his own experiences and why it was important for him to perform at a show benefiting people coping with mental health
4: challenges. I think, like with anything, the, the more you talk about it, the less stigma, you know. The percentages of people suffering from mental health, it's grown and everything, but the good side of that coin is uh, we're talking a lot more about it. The fact that we're, you're even questioning me right now is a step in the right direction, whereas people before didn't want to talk about mental illness at all how important is it for anyone that's suffering with
0: uh, any kind of bipolar or depression to be truthful to themselves and truthful to the ones that are
4: around them I think it's very important because I think in, in everything if you're honest about who you are and your problems that you face the the more likely you are to get help for it, you know. And uh, to keep the open dialogue like they're always saying you know talk about it talk about it tell your family there's so many families where it's still hidden the mental illness You've been really open about your own challenges with
0: mental health. How important was it for you to be open and has it helped in a therapeutic sense?
4: Well, yeah, it's it's helped in a therapeutic sense. But I, I remember at the beginning before I went public, my agents and managers said, you know, don't say that you're bipolar because you're going to lose work but then my attitude was well if people don't hire me because I'm bipolar they're probably not the kind of people I want to work with in the first place so I think it's a lot better and also it goes to the thing I've always felt that uh, you know it's better to play the cards that you've been dealt and I think especially in comedy the the truth is always funnier than stuff we can make up.
2: I love that line you talk about fighting the stigma and sort of Every generation, it's getting a little bit maybe better. How do you think the conversation has been going so far? And what can our generation do to finally get over that hump?
4: Well, it, it, it's like a relay race. You just pick up that baton and run run your part of the race. You know what I mean? Everybody continues. And if we keep running in, in the right direction, then it, then it's okay.
0: Thanks very much, Mike, for speaking with us. If you'd like to learn more about the Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba, or if you're in need of support, call 204-786-0987 or visit mooddisordersmanitoba.ca. That's a wrap on another episode of River City 360. Don't forget, if you missed part one of my interview with Michael Moss, you can check out the previous episode on our podcast. And if you'd like to hear the full interview, we'll have that online Monday afternoon. Just go to rivercity360.org to learn how to subscribe and get episodes on your computer, tablet, or smartphone. Thank you very much for listening to the program this week. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, please visit rivercity360.org. That's rivercity360.org to listen to all of our past episodes, interviews, and features. You can also keep up with the latest from us on social media. Be sure to like our River City 360 page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at RiverCity360. You can also join the conversation by using the hashtag RC360. And we'd like to know what you think about the program this week. Send us an email with your comments or story ideas. The email address is rivercity360 at wpgfdn.org. River City 360 is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with Community News Commons and CJNU 93.7 FM. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week right here on River City 360.